Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's the Wonky Show. There's a package of support for research and some immigration changes to look at. Uh, a speech from Michelle Donnellan on social mobility and low-value courses has caused some waves this week. And Happy has done some polling on lockdown learning and student expectations for September. It's all coming up. I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm old, but this generation of students who seem to have um, a very, very highly developed, developed social conscience, maybe it's always been true, but I think that um, if we are clear that um, social distancing isn't about protecting you, it's about protecting other people. Welcome to The Wonky Show, your weekly way into this week's higher education news, policy and analysis. I'm Jim Dickinson and here to help us understand what's going on this week, as usual, two excellent guests. Uh, in Oxfordshire, on the edge of the Cotswolds, Ross Renton is Pro Vice-Chancellor at the University of Worcester. Uh, Ross, your highlight of the week, please? My highlight of the week was being on campus. We had a socially distanced campus tour, so I got to see people in 3D. Brilliant. And in Bounds Green, North London, Vivian Stern is the Director of Universities UK International. Viv, your highlight of the week, please. Well, you might expect me to say it was the extension of post-study work to three years for PhDs, but no, it was the arrival in my life of the phrase spherical tokamak, which, uh, you know, it's, a, it's one of the other blessings contained in the R&D uh, roadmap. But just say it, spherical tokamak. It is the most effective insult I think I've ever come across. And my children are now calling each other spherical tokamaks, which I find very pleasing. Uh, we start this week with bailout two. The government has unveiled a package of support for research that includes some loans and grants. Uh, and there's also been some immigration changes uh, and an R&D roadmap. So, there, so, Ross, there's lots in here. Yeah, bailout part two, not quite as good as bailout one or maybe even better. Um, certainly the first part of it was around supporting Russell Group institutions primarily, uh, but there might be a knock-on effect for post-92s and others, where there'll be uh, 80% of the value of missing income from international student fees uh, will support that research um, income that would sometimes possibly support. Um, so that could be good news for many, and it's been well received by uh, those who will benefit the most. Uh, the other um, big announcement was on the Office for Talent, which seems straight out of Yes Minister, um, which looks at some really good announcements, particularly the three-year post-study work visa, which Vivian and team should be praised for because they've done a fantastic lobbying for us. And in the final part of the kind of bailout type announcements, when the Prime Minister stood up in Dudley uh, and said um, lots of really nice things and, and kind of rehashed some others. Uh, but the, the one that I think we should note is a little bit of a bash at higher education. Uh, too many degree courses are now not delivering value. Things to come. So good. Now, before we get into some of the detail on that, Viv, can you just take us through the the, the immigration changes this week? Because because I'm you know some weeks I find it difficult to keep up with um, the, the the never ending series of wins that that, that UUKI seems to be having. I know it's baffling, isn't it? It's a bit like <laughs> buses. You know, I feel like I've been waiting my entire adult life for the Home 
office to get his act together. And then, you know, it's just, it's just been, it's just been amazing. So, um, we had, uh, after a very, very, very long battle, um, the announcement last September that the government would reintroduce what we call post-study work. And it's going to be called the graduate route. And, uh, uh, students, international students will get to stay for two years post-graduation. Um, in, uh, the announcement on what was it Tuesday, um, the, uh, period that PhD uh, candidates will get to stay was extended to three years. So it's three for PhD. And that's great because PhD students are brilliant for the UK for lots of reasons, including the fact they're part of the research workforce. They, they, this is going to sound, um, I have to be careful how I put this, but, um, but PhD uh, uh, graduates are like sort of viral particles in the research system. So they, when they leave a university, they take with it, um, you, you know, they take with them a bit of a knowledge about what the research strengths and the kind of uh, resources and expertise of that team are. And when they go and work in other universities, they tend to be uh, quite instrumental in bringing together uh, research teams from the universities they go to. So they end up being very, very important in the kind of fabric of international collaboration. So it's super smart. Um, the other thing uh, that happened was uh, the beginning of announcements about what the new points-based system will look like for students. The new route is going to be called the student route. So we can forget about tier four from January 2021. We're going to have a thing called the student route. And the government is starting to announce what that will involve. And there are some, again, there are some really good things in that. So uh, students will be able to switch visa category and country, something we've been banging on for a long time about. Um, they will be able to, um, uh, at postgraduate level, there'll be no limit on the time that they can spend studying. And uh, finally, the application window will be extended to six months from the current three. That, in fact, is something we've been asking for as a particularly sort of COVID-related um, policy measure. And it is one of the last pieces of the jigsaw puzzle in the set of proposals we put forward to government about three weeks, three or four weeks ago. We said, look, COVID has caused all sorts of trouble. These are the things you need to do. Basically, they've gone through that list, tick, 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 tick. And we are getting more or less uh, to the end of that list now. Interesting. And, and just remind me, there's there's, um, there's there's a change this year, isn't there, which which allows uh, uh, international students to sort of start as distance learners yeah. as long as they become sort of on-campus learners by a certain date. Is that right? Yeah. So that was the, the thing we were euphoric about last week or the week before. I'm a bit muddled up about time. But basically, we needed the government to make it clear that if for uh, reasons relating to sort of the odd conditions that we're going through at the moment, you uh, can't come onto campus at the beginning of your course, um, or you're studying partially online, as lots of students will be, that that will be okay under the terms of the visa. It isn't it wasn't uh, as an, under normal circumstances. So that happened. And the other thing is that um, they clarified that you could still be eligible for the graduate route if you're here by April 2021. So again, just a reassurance for those people who are thinking of starting, say, master's courses, um, but may not be able to come onto campus right at the beginning. Yeah. And, and, and ironically, of course, that that's, um, you know, that's good news for students, um, you know, who might be needing to or wanting to start as distance learners. Although over in kind of home students, Ross, that, that we don't have similar, uh, you know, we, we don't have a similar benign environment in terms of the student funding system uh, that would allow uh, home students to, to to sort of start, uh, you know, as distance learners. It's very much still uh, the regs say, you know, you, you, you've got to be kind of, you know, on campus and attending. Yeah, and I mean, I think for this year, there'll certainly be flexibility around that. I and mean, when people look at their quality arrangements uh, to make sure that there is that kind of emergency type arrangements in place. 
However, I, I think the way things are travelling, we started off uh, probably a month or so back thinking there won't be much activity in many universities, with there being a slight exception to that. I think we're now seeing uh, the latest kind of figures are showing the vast majority of people uh, will be starting uh, in uh, some form or back onto campus. That seems to be uh, the way that the direction of travel has moved in quite a short period of time. Yeah, okay. Well, in- interesting. Now, obviously, we'll, we'll, we'll come back to some of that in a, in a later item. The other, the other thing I was going to ask, Ross, is... Um, the, this stuff about you know the the bailout and who it's going to benefit. Um, on top of that announcement a couple of weeks ago about you know the extra places, is there a sense that lots of the kind of guaranteed support here is you know tumbling into a certain part of the sector, and there's another part of the sector that you know so far just isn't really getting the help it needs? Absolutely, and some of it is quite understandable. There's been a, a large lobby around uh, particular research-intensive uh, institutions. You could see that even with the original UUK uh, bailout uh, request that went in. I would say that some of these will have a knock-on benefit. So, for example, there was a worry, I think, from some institutions that the Russell Group um, uh, institutions may try and scoop up more UK home students, particularly uh, with being able to recruit about 5% on uh, the, the kind of numbers target that have been given this year. This might alleviate some of that need and some of those institutions probably will want to consolidate rather than grow. Uh, and this kind of bailout support will help that. And, and, and Viv, just back on R&D for a minute. Obviously, you know, since um, uh, Dom Cummings has been uh, knocking around, there's been this, this, this wider debate about the extent to which kind of research, development, science, innovation, whether spending would be located inside universities or outside universities. What do we know as a result of the roadmap that came out this week? Well, I think it's interesting. So if you read the, the, the roadmap, and I said, I've seen commentators say, hang on a second, where, where are the universities and all of this, that there sort of is a marginal role. I didn't, I didn't see that. I mean, first of all, we ought to know when we've got it good, right? I mean, the government has committed, recommitted to increasing research um, and development expenditure to £22 billion. I mean, that's pretty... We've got a terrible habit as a sector when something good happens of lifting up the rock and looking for the the, the problem in all of this. Um, and, I, and I think we shouldn't do that. I think we should say, uh, this is basically great. This is what we need. And there's a, there's a commitment even in a period in which, you know, I think the government's going to be under horrendous financial pressure to double down on research investment. So I, I don't think we should go looking for, um, for, for problems in this. And I think the, the other thing is there's plenty here, which is absolutely about strengthening universities. I mean, my obvious, my, my interest I go straight to the bits that are around uh, global collaboration. It is fantastic. If you are, this is the only only one key I would get to be excited about this. But we've been we've been sort of um, talking about what happens if you can't associate to Horizon for a long time. You know, it's a clear risk. But we never got a clear commitment from government, from the Treasury, or from anybody else that they would actually fund um, the replacement if we need one for for Horizon. It's there in this document. And it's the first time it's been three years we've been going, hang on a second, guys, can we just get you to say that publicly? And so uh, that's very important. Um, the other thing is, you know, the, the sort of there is a clear interest in seeing how we can um, use universities international uh, relationships around the world to leverage benefit, greater benefit, both for the research system and the economy. And again, do you know what, that's, that's just what we need. We, we can do so much more and the system could be so much better than it is. It's a bit Betamax at the moment. And uh, we've got clear invitation as a sector to come forward with good ideas about how to do this in a systematic, strategic way. And I, and I think we should really embrace that. Good. Now let's see who's been blogging for us this week. Hi, my name is Andy Ewell. I'm an HE data expert. This week on the blog, I have written about a favourite old topic of mine, what is a course? 
with so much of the current policy debate focused around this idea of low quality courses, there are real problems trying to get a handle on what a course is and how we represent that in the data. Many of the proxies that we use to, to describe uh, courses, things like subjects, really don't cut it. And don't forget, we'd love to have your contribution on the site. If you'd like to pitch us a piece, do drop us an email on teamatwonky.com with your idea and we'll be in touch. Now, next up, Universities Minister Michelle Donnellan had a speech this week setting out her views on social mobility. Now, turning back to the wider point of social mobility and higher education in general, I do believe that we need to think again. The new Labour access regime has let down too many young people. Since 2004, there's been too much focus on getting students through the door and not enough focus on how many drop out or how many go on to graduate jobs. Too many have been misled by the expansion of popular sounding courses with no real demand from the labour market. Quite frankly, our young people have been taken advantage of, particularly those without a family history of going to university. Instead, some have been left with the debt of an investment that didn't pay off in any sense. And too many universities have felt pressured to dumb down either when admitting students or in the standards of their courses. And we've seen this with grade inflation and it has to stop. We need to end the system of arbitrary targets that are not focused on the individual students' needs and goals. And let's be clear, we help disadvantaged students by driving up standards, not by levelling down. Viv, fill us in. Oh, this was um, this is a bit like a blast from the past. I mean, look, the, the first thing to say about this speech is that um, it is, I, I think, the, the, the themes are all completely familiar. And to be honest, as a university sector, and, you know, I come from University GK, we should read this and think, uh, right, so we still haven't quite managed to counter this age-old narrative that more means worse and that students cause, choosing courses that excite them is, you know, a, su- a subject of suspicion. There's just, there's a lot in here that is very familiar. Uh, it feels a bit different coming from Michelle Donnellan. I, I'm a big fan of Michelle Donnellan. I think she's been brilliant, certainly in the kind of contact we've had w- with her on the international side. Um, and it does feel a bit like, oh, we're back here, are we? And um, I don't know. I mean, it's uh, it's talking about... Um, yeah, all things that are very important, uh, such as making sure that social mobility, you know, expanding access really delivers um, better opportunities to students from low participation backgrounds, things that I know every university in the country cares about. Uh, but with that laced through it, that more means worse. Um, uh, universities have been pressurised to dumb down, you know, we're back on grade inflation uh, I, I just, it's all, it's all very, the, the thing that sort of makes me smile is I, I, I've not always lived in the kind of sunny part of the forest that only deals with the great things around internationalization. I was once, I was, you know, when I was, when I was, um, when I was just a, when I was just a toddler, I was a quality wonk for UK. Quality was my sort of special subject at one point. And I used to really enjoy these arguments about, uh, you know, s- students choosing low value courses, because actually it doesn't take very much digging um, to demonstrate that that isn't really often held up by the data. I think there's a beautiful article on Wonky um, this morning by David, which sort of goes into this. It's actually beautifully written, can I say, uh, gorgeously written article. Um, and I used to, I used to sort of um, snigger, frankly, at people who talked about media studies being a sort of, you know, sus- suspect uh, um, course. You kind of think, what the hell? Have you not looked out of the window and worked out that, you know, so much of, uh, you know, you know, politics, economics, society is shaped by our engagement with understanding of use of uh, media. Same with things like computer game design. I remember sort of 
old buffers sitting on back benches saying, you know, there are students in our universities, do you know, studying computer game design? And you just kind of go, oh, OK, would you like to go to Dundee? Um, just have a look around. Tell me what you think. Oh, and I, mean, I, I mean, I agree. With, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm very proud of my T2 in media studies from the Polytechnic. <laughs> I mean, look at, look at me now. Yes, well, exactly. <laughs> you know, but, 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 but I mean, Ross, there's, there's, is, is, there, is there anything, you know, is there, is there anything new in this or is this, you know, more of the same mood music? You know, was this, a, you know, some people have written this up as a, you know, decisive change in government policy. Certainly there was a kernel, wasn't there, on contextual admissions that sounds like a change in approach. There's a bit of that. I think there's a playbook as well in the back of the university minister's office that sometimes gets pulled out flaked through and, and things pulled from it I remember when immunology was um, one of these trendy courses for goodness sake we need immunology more now <laughs> than ever so it's absolutely bizarre um, I, I saw a really great quote from Joe Johnson I don't often say the really great quotes from um, ex-ministers but it was fantastic which was Leo data is about as useful as an indicator of value as the size of an MP's majority I think it, it, it sits absolutely with this I think we need to think really carefully about what this is saying. There's some new things in there, but actually a lot of it casts back to a little bit of auger, a little bit of the setting up of the Office for Students. I think the term, and I think, Jim, you picked this up beautifully as well, which was on the true social mobility. This is a new one in me. I've been working both in writing on uh, widening participation and social mobility for a long while. I've never heard the term true social mobility. <laughs> and I think we need to challenge these things as well and, and have a proper discourse as a sector. But it's true. It is true that we have sort of we we have not won this argument. You know, we have not managed to, uh, you know, to convince a a big part of the political, uh, you know, population that this is a you know that that they are wrong to believe that universities are piling in students who they then uh, serve very badly and it, you know almost as though they're exploiting students aspirations i think we haven't managed to challenge that and uh we yeah and i mean look Vivian, i mean you're right i mean the quote was misled students have been misled yeah. by the expansion of popular sounding courses you know and so on and so on but you know mary kernock cook last night on twitter made a very very similar point you know that, that we somehow haven't we haven't won the argument there's no good you know pointing out the detail you know to say ministers you're wrong but you know part of Part of what I think is interesting about this is that that headline that, you know, students are being enrolled into poor value courses has been generated for at least the last three years by secretaries of state and yeah. ministers. And part of, you know, part of my response back to Mary last night was, well, you know, I don't think this is all the fault of the sector. Surely at some point ministers should just crack on and have an actual policy in this space rather than <laughs> just some mood music. It's like, come on, make a proposal, then we'll debate it. But, but you know, we've got the Pierce Review, you know, stuck on someone's desk uh, in into, into the TEF. You know, you've got the response to the Orga review stuck on someone else's desk. It's like, crack on and have a policy and we can talk about it, can't we? Yeah, I mean, I think um, the the uh, the bottom line is you get into student choice. And actually, I think that the fact that provision in universities is driven by student choice is actually something that aligns entirely with uh, the government's idea that, that, that the, the, um, the sector should be driven by demand and, you know, what people describe as market forces and actually it ends up not being a bad idea because you probably did get people who wouldn't have gone to university otherwise but were persuaded to do so because there was a course that didn't sound really boring and dry and you know sounded like it would be something exciting to do and then because they spent three years in undergraduate studying it to a very high level they created an industry that didn't exist and I think if you look at all sorts of things animation you know the film and television industry in the UK it didn't happen by accident it human happened because human moonshots it, well, you got to, yeah. you got to take some risks, haven't you? Yeah, but also you don't know what the goals are going to be. You, 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 if you just shove, if you let 
students decide what they're interested in, they will create things that didn't exist before. And I think we haven't got a very good uh, track record of explaining that. Trust people. You know, okay, they may make daft decisions in some cases, but in in general, it doesn't work out badly. There's a couple of things in there that worry me as well, uh, Jim, around this. Some of it is who doesn't go. And that's the thing that I think we need to yep. throw back at the time. Because I think when you hear these things about being cheated or misled, I think the people who hear that are often the ones that probably should be thinking about higher education, those from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. And the ones who are in the middle income, the higher income groups, will have the informed, supportive parents there that have been through higher education, will push them through. So I, I have a worry about that narrative being built. I I also think it shouldn't all be laid down at the, the door of higher education and universities. We need to properly fund our colleges, properly fund our schools, and that is really missing from all of this. It keeps saying one or the other isn't one of the others. Fund both well. Yeah. Let me ask you this question. So, you know, if well, this time last year we were all pouring through Auger, right? So, and when I got to the end of Auger, I remember this, I was sat in, trying to be on holiday in Poland. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, writing up blogs for wonky as you do when you're on, you know, you're one week on. Um, and I got to the end of it and thought, okay, so this is all about, and then if you, if you remember the framing right at the start of Olga, this is all about the 50% that don't get to go to university. Mm. Yeah. But lots of the framing yesterday seemed to suggest that people who currently go to university have made the wrong choice. And, and I can't work out whether the government's agenda is about the people who don't go now and doing something for them in terms of levelling up, or whether it's about taking a chunk of people who do go now and getting them to decide differently. And, and it seems to me they're two quite distinct different agendas. It's interesting you should say that. And actually, it's I think there's something very important in that, which is that um, a lot of political attention is focused on this sort of this group of supposed uh, university students who have made a choice which they do not realise will end up being the wrong for them. Wrong for them, you know. It's it's a it, it is focusing on a particular group, you know, largely imagined in my view uh, of of students who should have chosen something else if only they knew better, instead of focusing on the really big issue, which as you say actually is, you know, okay, there may be a few people who do daft things, um, and it doesn't work out for them. But what about the 50% who aren't going to university and uh, the way that the education uh, system supports them? And I, and I agree, it can't be about either or. Um, you know, I think in a, in, a, in, a, in a system like a big university system like ours, um, some individual choices won't work out. And I'm not arguing, by the way, that universities shouldn't be held accountable for uh, standards and for the quality of what they offer. Absolutely, they should. Um, and if the government, I mean, go back to your point about policy, if the government has concerns about that, they should pay attention to whether or not the the uh, this system is really robustly holding up standards and quality rather than going after uh, student choice or, or the way that um, universities respond to student demand. Hi, my name is Lizzie Gadd and I work at Loughborough University as a research policy manager. And like many others in my position, I've been embroiled in the 300 pages of ref guidance for the last few years. And I'm now dealing with the further complexities of unpacking the impact of COVID-19 on our ref submission. So when the new Dutch strategy evaluation protocol, the SEP, was released this year, it got me reflecting as to how much more superior this feels as an approach to national research evaluation. The SEP's 46 pages of guidance outlines how, for example, it measures universities against their own missions, not an externally imposed one. It seeks to compare discipline by discipline, meaning no overall university level rankings. And it's formative, not summative, leaving universities with actual written guidance to take them forward, rather than a huge spreadsheet full of backward looking numbers. Of course, it's free to do this mainly because the SEP is not directly linked to funding, which might need to be another blog post. But still, I'm left asking, dear ref, please, may we have a SEP. 
Good. Now, next up, Happy and Youth Site have been polling students on the impact of COVID nineteen. Ross, what did we learn? Well, we learn. Well, what did we learn? Um, we did learn that students are overall quite satisfied, happy. Um, I think we can take a few things from that, which I'm sure we'll cover. Some of it might just be that they've been giving us lots of allowance, but also a lot of work was done across the sector. I think that what really is interesting is the expectations for the year ahead. So the expectations around hygiene, how the campus might operate within universities and how the courses might change. And students aren't really expecting big changes uh, to their delivery of their course necessarily. So I think there's some good things for us to try and unpick. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we're still in this period, aren't we, Viv, where it's actually quite difficult, I think, for lots of universities to be clear with students about what next year is going to look like. But there's a lot of pressure on universities to be clear, both kind of morally and, you know, in, from a regulatory point of view. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, you've, you've got to just be pretty honest with um, both current and prospective students that um, universities are developing plans. They're doing so in a um, in a sort of moving uh, uh landscape we're not absolutely sure what conditions are going to be like in the autumn so you can you can put in place plans uh, they're based on government guidance as it exists now we don't quite know how that will change um, and as circumstances change those plans will change it may be that people will get more face-to-face teaching that you know than universities are um, anticipating at this moment it may also be that we get a second spike and we have to move back into something like uh, the situation that we've had um, the last couple of months we don't know and I think the best thing universities can do is be pretty honest with students look this is what we'd like to do if the situation is as we imagine it will be uh we will be able to deliver this in terms of face-to-face um, uh, and and other sort of uh, in-person opportunities. Um, but we we just will need to keep an eye on the situation because the top priority has to be keeping people safe, right? Ross, you um, you know you're you're, you're at a university that has um, signalled quite early the intent to you know try and have some face-to-face. What what was your kind of calculation around that 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 kind of leadership? Yeah, we were, I think, one of the first to say that we would be um, looking to do as much teaching as possible back onto campus and also to have that wider campus experience. I think that comes from speaking to students, actually listening to what our students are saying to us, making sure they're understanding the various bits, uh, make sure we're understanding the various bits of guidance uh, that is being produced. I think there's also a bit of that is we have to make some assumptions. I think we assumed very early on, by the time we get to September, it's going to be a bit odd if we aren't delivering uh, some content, at least some content as universities, uh, back to students. And to do it in a really safe way, I, I think being transparent all the way through so that you're sharing the problem with students and with staff. But here's the question, though. Isn't the safest way to do this to not have any face-to-face next term? I think we have to make sure that we are mitigating the risks uh, where we can. And I think in doing that, you've got to remember institutions such as mine we're teaching the future nurses, we're teaching paramedics, um, teachers. We can't be delaying these things. We need to make sure we're supporting them. So putting in the right kind of measures to support and supporting the best we can, I think, is, is absolutely right. And being transparent, making sure we're following government guidance and actually sometimes superseding that and making sure we've got even better uh, than the, the what's in place. Viv, you'll have your eye on this. What's the sort of latest intel on uh, where international students are at, how demand is holding up, what the perceptions are, I guess, of of the UK at this point? Well, I mean, we have to keep an eagle eye on on, how it changes over time. But right now, I am cautiously optimistic. So um, I've heard from lots of universities for whom acceptances are up. Um, 
the the data on kind of prospective student um, perceptions coming through um, has been showing for the last couple of months what the the main message has been. There's a big group of students who are undecided, who don't know whether they're going to continue with their plans or stay at home or defer. Um, and the the next wave of polling, I think there's going to be a poll published by IDP in a couple of weeks. Um, and I expect it to show that uh, people are beginning to make their decision and in quite large measure, um, they're, they're you know, gaining the confidence to start moving forward with their, with their plans to come to the UK. I don't think that is a consistent picture across the sector. So I don't know what it's like um, for uh, Ross, but, um, and my guess is that we will see some differentiation. We will see some uh, highly selective institutions uh, holding up very well and 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 some sort of uh, recruiting, typically recruiting institutions um, uh, sort of maybe doing slightly less well. Of course, the thing that everybody says to me is we will not know until those students step off the plane uh, whether mm-hmm. they're going to come or not. Because And to some extent, whether they you know stay, I guess. Yeah. You know, the- I mean, the, the returning students will also be a big issue. So, I mean, financial planning is an absolute nightmare for institutions at the moment. Um, but we're doing everything we can to reassure prospective international students that the plans are in place. I mean, things like the poll that we published a couple of weeks ago um, showing that 97% of universities are going to deliver some in-person teaching. Very important. All the visa changes we've described are really important working on things like self-isolation chartering flights and all of that kind of stuff so we're trying to get all the ducks in a row um you know and i, and I think that seems to be working at the moment and, and ross on this uh, obviously you know the, the wider politics this week has been dominated by um the you know whack-a-mole <laughs> not my words conference uh boris johnson's phrase for uh, you know local lockdowns and you know the way in which we'll manage uh, the pandemic in the in the autumn it, it, I, 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 have you started to think about what would happen in the event that you know suddenly all of this went into reverse and you know that, that suddenly i don't know lockdown in worcester yeah i mean look let's be really frank the government's not had a great pandemic at all and uh, and it's been it's been difficult i think for everyone to try and ensure there's been the right kind of support there um, we, we've got plans, as every institution will have, about if we have to, if there's an increased lockdown, if there's change of conditions. And I think planning for these things is absolutely right. Um, I, I think also is not relying just on what the government is producing. Um, and, and like many, I've been looking overseas, seeing what's happened in New Zealand, what's happened in Austria, even just up over the border in Scotland, whose guidance actually includes universities. Our guidance in the UK doesn't really have much to say about universities from the government. Um, when you look at the Scottish gui- uh, government's guidance, it's got a bit of detail about universities and how they're reopening. I don't agree with everything they've put in there at this stage, but at least there's something there and a bit of clarity and consistency across the sector. Yeah, yeah. Viv, just looking internationally, I mean, one of the you know one of the consistent news stories that keeps popping up in my feeds is. Um, students uh, not necessarily behaving in the way that we might like them to in relation to kind of you know wider community transmission and so on particularly you know, lots of stories in in North America is is there a danger that you know university campuses are safe but that student conduct uh, you know sets us back Oh, it's really hard, isn't it? I mean, I kind of, I've got an 18 year old niece and I kind of think if I was 18 and being told to stay away from my friends and not kiss anybody, I think I'd find that really quite upsetting. So, so, so there's a, there's a degree of, um, I think you have to understand that, um, that, that that's a demographic. It's going to be pretty hard to keep apart. Uh, but what, what, what I've seen in universities, the kind of, um, communication with students about what, is expected of them the the measures they're putting in place to create the structures to to uh, support social distancing i think they're going to be amongst the safer places where young people con- congregate um, but it is tough i do feel really sorry for people in their sort of late teens and and 20s at the moment because ross there's a big danger here isn't there you know we've seen stories about raves uh, we've seen stories about you know block parties in 
in Leicester. There's a there's a danger, isn't there, that you know students do what they're going to do, um, and then somehow, as usual, you know, a bit like we've talked about earlier on in the podcast, you know, universities end up getting the blame. It is really difficult, and there's a part of me which doesn't want there to be author- authoritarian messages put out from institutions and kind of waggy fingers because it wouldn't work. And for many kind of young people entering higher education. They'll be coming in with a very different view about, as you say, physical distancing and, and social distancing compared to possibly some of the more mature students who are arriving and some will have reasons um, that they'll have to think about a bit more carefully about the kind of distance they'll have from others. I think there's a bit for us to have really good community kind of uh, culture and, and talking about these issues with students prior to arrival, but on arrival as well. Also working with the community uh, and things that are student unions is making sure they really are key and core part of that discussion and making sure that they're working with us and finding things that people can do that help get the message out. I mean, the message about the massive amount of volunteering that students have done, there's some really positive things that have happened during the pandemic where students have contributed massively. And then getting some of those messages out early and now will help with this. Oh, I have to, can I please then give that, thank you, Russ. That was a lovely opportunity for me to plug the campaign we started. We, We started this campaign called we are together just to showcase that sort of stuff because it's not just you know universities that I think are doing an astonishing job of supporting current students but the things that students are doing to um, to support each other to uh, contribute to the community I mean there's something a really amazing um, story to tell and our we are together campaign is really partly about that um, and if you want to follow the, the we've got an international um, uh, uh, bit of this and it's got its own instagram channel and uh, you know so follow that it's um we are together underscore uk it's an excellent campaign and what i would say is that i mean i've been almost kind of taken to tears hearing some of the stories from our students that have been out doing things so for example our student nurses asking to work in covid19 yeah, yeah. wards these kind of things are so powerful and it shows a kind of it, it takes away from that kind of narrative that sometimes that some newspapers have about students it's not the students i know it's not the students i know that are working at the moment also, can I say, I think there's something there's something very important about, I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm old, but this generation of students who seem to have um, a very, very highly developed, developed social conscience, maybe it's always been true, but I think that um, if we are clear that um, social distancing isn't about protecting you, it's about protecting other people, I think that um, there are, you know, there are, there are really kind of, um, it's a fertile ground to get across that message that we're taking care of you, not ourselves. And I think students are quite receptive to that kind of message. So that's about it for this week. To find out more about anything we've discussed today, you'll find links on the episode page at wonky.com, where you can also leave your thoughts and comments. Don't forget, you can subscribe to us automatically. Just search for The Wonky Show on your favourite podcast directory, or you'll find the feed you need on wonky.com.